Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we want to continue in the, the along the lines of uh, the human spirit, teaching on the human spirit like we have for the last number of weeks. We're using uh, two main texts for this uh, this series. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, and then Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27. First Thessalonians 5, 23, the Holy Spirit identifies or defines the, the makeup of man, the wholeness of man. He said, I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Proverbs verse 20, chapter 20, verse 27 says, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. What that's telling us is that God uses our spirit to guide us. Now, you can't find anything in the Scripture that says God will guide us through our bodies or through natural circumstances. You can't find anything in the Scripture that says God will guide us through the mind. Yet those are the primary ways that most Christians are looking for guidance. They're looking for God to show them, either through some open or closed door or through some circumstance, because they don't know how to be led by the Spirit. Now, I want you to, to um, uh, I'll refer to a couple of scriptures. If you can turn there quickly, we won't take a lot of time with them. But if you can turn there quickly, I want to put some things together. Proverbs 20, verse 27, again, says the spirit of man, not the mind, not the body. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Psalms 18, verse 28 says this, David's speaking by the inspiration of the Lord, and he said, For thou wilt light my candle. Thou, O Lord, will enlighten my darkness. Now, if the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord and God's intent is to light the candle, what's he going to light it with? John chapter 1 and verse 4, speaking of Jesus, said, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So God intends to light your candle or enlighten your darkness or guide you through the life of God that he deposits on the inside of you at the new birth. Now, we know from uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 that the Bible says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. Well, what things have passed away and what things become new? We know that the body doesn't change. The body doesn't pass away, and the body isn't made new. Physical things don't change for us when we get born again. We also know that uh, things of the soul, things of the mind, interests that we have, our emotions in most cases aren't changed or aren't affected by the new birth. So it can't be the, the things of the soul that change. It can't be things of the body that change. Therefore, what is it? Well, it's the spirit of man that changes. It's the spirit of man that changes. Now, here's the, the real rub, the real difficulty that people have in spiritual things. And uh, in my opinion, why most people just shy away from it altogether. You get to talking to some people about this, and they'll show an interest to begin with uh, in the, the, the fact that uh, uh, the Bible intends, uh, tells us that God's intent is to lead us by His Spirit. You start talking to the, to, about that with most Christians, and they'll get excited about that to a certain point. But then you start talking to them about having to develop their spirit, and, and they'll just go blank. It'll, it's just like, oh, well, okay, I, I don't think we want to talk about that anymore. Because what they're looking for is they're looking for God to do the job without them having to pay the price. Hebrews 4.12, we've looked at this before. It says, the word of God is quick and powerful. Another translation says, full of life and power. And sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder. In other words, here's how sharp it is. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Now, you can't find any other scripture, you can't find any other bit of information that in the Bible that identifies what separates soul and spirit other than the word of God. Now, I think we have an advantage in the day that we live in um, because we know a little bit about computers. Some of us know more than others, or I should say some of you know more than me. Um, 
but I know how to get around on a computer. I'm, I'm not a computer savvy. We've got people in the church that write code and stuff like that. Whatever in the world that's supposed to mean, it sounds pretty big, doesn't it? Well, I don't, I don't have that kind of technical expertise, but I'm able to, to, to use a computer and I'm able to, to, uh, to use it to my benefit. Now, you know as well as I do that a computer can be used for a lot of beneficial things. I use it a lot for Bible study and Bible research, but a computer can be used for a lot of, uh, sinful things, can be used for a lot of illicit activities, can be used for a lot of things that, that aren't good and aren't helpful. Uh, that's one reason why we have such a, a, a huge internet pornography um, industry going on right now, because it's it's something that everybody thinks is anonymous, and so we can get away with it. Well, uh, you know, there are also other things you can use the computer for that aren't necessarily positive, that aren't necessarily negative. You just waste a ton of time on a computer doing nothing. Now, it's not the computer's fault, and it's not the computer that determines what happens with it. It's the user's decision, right? Well, that's the way the mind is. The mind is, the use of the mind is determined by the individual. It's neither positive or negative. And now when I'm talking about the mind, I'm talking about the soul. The soul is defined by the scriptures as the mind, the will, and the emotions. The soul is kind of the neutral ground. It can be used either positively or negatively, or you can just waste time with it. Just like a computer. Now, imagine that you get a hold of a computer, real high-powered computer, fancy, got all the new stuff on it that you you could ever want, could uh, you know, that you need for any use whatsoever. But it was used by the previous owner for a lot of illicit stuff. Now it's yours. Maybe it was passed down. Maybe you're working for the same company as they did, and it was handed down to you. And you find all this illicit stuff and background and history and and all this other stuff on the computer. Well. The computer has a new user now. This is what it's like with the new birth. The computer, the neutral soul, has a new user. Now, unlike what I understand you can do with some computers, again, I'm not really up on this stuff, there's not a certain button, there's not a certain program, there's not some special keystroke that you can use to wipe the hard drive or to wipe the history and clean it all in one stroke. But instead, this new computer that you've got, you're going to have to take it item by item, line by line, click by double click to erase the bad stuff and replace it with good stuff. Now, one of your reasons for that is you don't want the boss coming and thinking that you were involved in all this. That's what the renewing of the mind and the saving of the soul is really like. Because our soul, before we were born again, was used for all kinds of sinful things. We operated according to the, to the, uh, the spirit of the world which is controlled and dominated by Satan. And as a result, our mind, which is neutral, our soul, which is neutral, it's neither positive or negative in and of itself, but determined by the inward man, the man on the inside, the man that was spiritually dead, used it for for evil purposes. Here's one thing that uh, uh, Second Corinthians or 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 has always intrigued me. It says, For the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. For their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. Or another translation says spiritually understood. Now, I think one of the best examples we've got of that is that new movie Noah that just came out. Here you got a natural, you got an unsaved guy. And, and I don't know if he's on drugs when he read the story of Noah or what the deal was. But it's clear that he didn't get the point. Now, right on the other hand, let me tell you, I can see some real positives that the Spirit of God is using in that thing, though. Isn't it interesting that here's an unsaved guy, a guy that claims to be an atheist, 
who has created, wrote, created, and directed a movie that talks about the destruction of man for his sinful ways. I just find that fascinating at this point in time. Well, nevertheless, the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. That's the way we all were. We were all evil users of the neutral computer, the soul. But now something's changed. Now we're a new person. We've got a brand new person. It's not the old person cleaned up. Now it's a brand new person using something that was trained to be used and and has a history of being used for illicit purposes. So we've got a work cut out for us. That's why Romans chapter 12 talks about presenting your bodies and renewing your minds. Because that is the saving of the soul. That's what James talks about. Receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your soul. He's writing to Christians, and he's telling them their souls aren't saved. So we've got some work to do with our souls. We've got some work to do with our souls. Now, folks, turn. I want you to see a couple of scriptures with me. Turn with me over to Colossians chapter 2. I want to talk to you about how to develop your spirit, but I want to make some, uh, make some comments and point some things out before we get into the, the nuts and bolts of it. I want you to understand some things. Colossians chapter 2. Let's start reading in... uh, Well, let's start reading in verse 8. It said, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. He's talking about teachings. He's saying don't be pulled away by wrong teachings or wrong attitudes, in other words. After the tradition of men... After the rudiments or the elements of this world and not after Christ. The rudiments or the elements of the world is talking about worshiping the things uh, that were created rather than the creator. This save the earth stuff. He's saying don't be fooled by that. I don't know if they had save the earth stuff back in their day, but that's what it equates to in our day. For in him, uh, well, let me read it again. I, I interrupted myself. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. Another translation says steal from you. I like that better. Spoil you means to steal from you. You can be stolen from by wrong teachings. Beware lest any man spoil you or steal from you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments or elements of the world, and not after Christ. For in him, in Christ. How many of you are in Christ? Well, now it's going to talk about you then. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In other words, you don't have to add anything to who you are in Christ. You don't have to add anything to what the Bible says about being in him. That's what you need to focus on, not any other teaching, not any other ideas, not any other doctrines. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of of the Godhead bodily. Now notice verse 10, that's what I wanted to get to. And you are complete in him. And you are complete in him. And you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Now, what does the word complete mean? The word complete in this, as it's used right here, this word literally means filled up to the full. Another translation says, and you are filled with all the fullness of God. In other words, the picture that this word paints is something that is so full, it's full to capacity. There's no room for anything else. And there's no, there's no aspect or no little, even the smallest part of anything that's missing. And notice he says, in Christ, you are complete in him. Now, we're talking spirit, soul, and body. What part of you is complete in him? Paul's going to tell these people to put away sin so they can't be complete in him in body. He's going to talk to them about doing things and renewing their minds and bringing their souls into obedience to Christ and so forth. So he can't be talking about their souls. He's got to be talking about the spirit of man. Now, turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 12. 
Let me show you something else the Bible says about the Spirit. Hebrews chapter 12. I'll back up and read a couple of verses here that will give us a context. Let's, uh, well, let's back up to verse 18. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 18. For you not come unto the mountain that burned, that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken unto them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Now he's talking about my, um, uh, Mount uh, Sinai. He's talking about when Moses received the Ten Commandments. He's talking about when Moses went up into the mountain. He stayed there for 40 days and 40 nights. Everybody said because of the sights that they saw, the thunders and the lightnings and the earthquakes and everything like that, they had to cordon off the, the place because it was uh, sanctified uh, for, for God meeting with mankind and mankind's representative, which was Moses. And so no animal could get close. If any did, the animal had to be killed immediately and that type of thing. And everybody, you remember, was so afraid of that and said there's nobody that could live through all this kind of stuff. That had a, a, a direct bearing on why they made the golden calf and did all the stuff they did, thinking Moses has never come down from the mountain. And here the Bible tells us that Moses was even shaken by the sights and the sounds and the experience of it all. He said himself, I do exceedingly fear and quake. But he says, that's not what you're come to. That's not the mountain you came to. Now, he's writing to the Jews, and they know this is part of their history. They know of the, the law of Moses and all the, the stories that came with the, the deliverance of the Ten Commandments and so forth. And he said, but that's not who you are anymore. So he's got to be talking to Christians, Christian Jews. Notice where he says they are come to now, not Mount Sinai. But he says, you are coming to Mount Zion, verse 22. And unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and unto an innumerable company of angels. Too many angels to count. God's got too many angels to count. That just boggles my mind. Seems like God would be big enough to come up with a number. Notice verse 23. Who are we come to? We are come to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and I notice this phrase, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. And to the spirits, here's who you've come to, to the spirits of those just men made perfect. Now, this is a different word. It means complete. It means finished. It means having arrived at the goal. Now, let me ask you a question. If we're complete in him, if we're filled up to the full, there are other scriptures we could use. For example, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says, you're blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. In other words, there's nothing left out. You don't get more when you get better. You've received everything that there is in Christ Jesus. You don't work to a better place with God. You don't work to more blessings with God. There's nothing that comes that way. It all comes by the blood of Jesus. If it came any other way, then that means the blood of Jesus wouldn't be enough to get the job done. God would have needed something else. And I've used this example over and over again, but I I can't not say it in this context. So many people think that they're going to have eternal life when they get to heaven. Folks, if God needs the death of the physical body to complete the work of Jesus, then the work of Jesus wasn't sufficient on its own. You've got eternal life now. You've got all the life of heaven that you're ever going to have. It's the same life as when you get to heaven. 
You don't get another measure or another level of eternal life. When Jesus comes back for us, we'll get new bodies. But remember, Paul said about his spirit departing and, and uh, going up, being caught up into the third heaven. He said he didn't know whether he's in the body or out of the body. That's an amazing statement. How could you not know? Seems like if everybody's idea of what heaven's going to be like and how much better it is than being in the physical body, it seems like if Paul's body left his, uh, Paul's spirit left his body, he'd know. Seems like one of the th- first things he told us is, wow, my spirit left my body and you guys would not believe what it's like. He said, whether in the body or out of the body, I can't tell. Why? Because it's the same. You, the spirit, the real man on the inside is the same whether you're in the body or out of the body. So going to heaven, leaving here and going to heaven doesn't change you. You leave behind your body. Or in the case of the rapture, we get a new body, but we're still the same. I think that's one of the biggest lies the devil tells the church. Well, it'll be different when we lose this body. Well, no, it won't. It may be different in the fact that you don't have a body anymore, but you're still the same person. You won't be any different. So if the Bible says that our spirits have been made perfect or complete or they've accomplished, reached the goal, if it says that we've been filled up to the full, with the things of God, there's no room for anything else. In other words, nothing lacking. If we have all blessings, if we've already been given all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, there's nothing else for us to attain to through right living or good works or anything like that, then how can you develop in spirit? See, if our spirits have already arrived as far as God's concerned, and I want you to understand, being made a new creature, old things have passed away, Behold, all things have become new. He's talking about spiritual things. In other words, he's saying, the Bible is teaching us very specifically that there's not one thing you can add to your spirit. The blood of Jesus already did the work. So how do you develop in spirit? What is there to growing in God? Spiritual growth and spiritual development takes place in the soul. Because the, the important thing about spiritual growth and spiritual development is not getting bigger in spirit. It's not even getting stronger in spirit. It's using your soul, the user, the man on the inside, using the soul, which is the neutral computer, like the man on the inside, using the soul to express spiritual things. To express the man on the inside. Now think about what Paul said over and over again. He said, put on the new man. Put off the old man and put on the new man. How do you do that? By redirecting your soul from evil things to spiritual things. How do you do that? He said, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. What is he talking about the spirit of your mind? He's talking about letting the inside man, the man on the inside, the spirit man, the man that's been recreated in Christ Jesus through the new birth, let that man dominate your mind, your thinking. He said, Philippians chapter 4, he said, what things soever uh, are good, honest, just, pure, true, lovely, and of good report, if there be any virtue and be any praise, think on those things. Why is he talking about what you think about? Because that's the way you let the man on the inside use the neutral computer to express spiritual things. This was the dilemma that Paul faced in Romans chapter 7. The old computer with the illicit history is still in control. He had not yet at that point in time learned how to let the man on the inside dominate the man on the outside. He didn't know how. Spiritual development is the development of the soul. It's the renewing of the mind. 
Now I want you to look with me over to something else. Look with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We, uh, we looked at some scriptures before about God lighting the candle. Uh, what was it? Psalm 18 verse 28. It says, Thou wilt light my candle. The Lord will enlighten my darkness. How does he light our candle? What does God use to enlighten our darkness or light our candle? In him, Jesus was life and the life was the light of men. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about God brings you from darkness into light through the new birth by the life of God being transferred to you. Paul wrote it this way to the Colossians. He says, we have been translated from the kingdom of darkness or the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. In other words, we went from darkness to light. Now, we know that those that are in darkness, in other words, those that are saved, is the natural man The second, that 1 Corinthians 2.14 is talking about. The natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. Neither can he know them because they're foolishness unto him because the Word of God is spiritually discerned or spiritually understood. Now, Jesus talked about, as a matter of fact, I'm going to read something to you from Mark chapter 6. You don't have to turn here if you don't want to. Because uh, I want to make sure you see some things in Ephesians 1 with me. Mark chapter 6. Um, let me start reading in verse 19. It says, Lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth, where moth and rust does corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust does corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. Now, I want you to notice he's talking about light. Now, the reason I read the preceding verses is he's talking about your focus. He's talking about what you give attention to. Paul wrote to the, to the Colossians and said, Seek not, seek the things that are above and not things here on the earth. Set your affection on things that are above and not things here on the earth. So he's talking about focus. So he says, For the light of the body is the eye. The light of the body is the eye. In other words, he's saying, Your body will walk in the light, the direction, the, the guidance of the Lord, as you keep your focus on the right thing. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single or focused, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? So notice he's saying that light, that which is intended to be light, can be darkness. Now I would submit to you, that just like the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God, the man who has been born again but has not renewed his mind is walking in very little less darkness than the unsaved. Now, he's got the life of God on the inside. His eternity is secure. He goes to heaven when he leaves the earth, but without a renewed mind, he is still operating on the, the computer with the bad memory. He's still operating in the same things that he did before. He's not renewing his mind. He's not taking time to replace the old use of the computer with the new use, the new and beneficial use of the computer. That's what it is for those who are saved but don't take the effort or don't put in the effort to renew their minds to the Word. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, you've got the life of God on the inside of you, or the life of God is what I came to bring you. And if your eye is single, if you'll keep your eye focused on that which is good and that which is right and that which is true, then that light will be a blessing. But if that light is in you and your eye is diverted from the truth of the Word of God, and remember, the Word of God is the only thing that can divide between soul and spirit. Jesus said in John six sixty three, he said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. 
So when he talks about keeping your eye on the, the, the things that are good and the things that are right, he's got to be talking about the Word. The Word's the only thing that can, re, can renew your mind. It's the only way to change things from the old way of thinking. It's the only way to come out of darkness and walk in the light that's already on the inside of you. So we can see that the soul is the bridge between the spirit and the body. So he says, if the light that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? Folks, I would submit to you that most of the church world is walking in darkness. Even though they've got the life and the light of God on the inside of them. Because either they don't know to renew their mind to the word, or they know when they haven't taken the time to to, do it, they're too busy with the things of the earth and, and too distracted by other things. I think most of it is in the first category. Most people just don't know. Most people do not take the uh, the word of God as uh, as precious enough to them to really live by it. They may even say, well, yeah, I know the word is true. I even believe that the word of God is God's word spoken to us. Well, if that's true, why doesn't somebody live by it? Because they're too distracted. They're too used to the old way of doing things. So I believe there are Christians. Well, I, more than I just believe, I know that for a fact. The Christians who do not take the time or the attention to focus on the Word of God and renew their mind to the Word are walking in very little less darkness than the unsaved. Even though they're in the light, as far as God's concerned, their spirit is is infused with life. It doesn't make way to their souls. So they're living like the unsaved. And isn't that what Paul was talking about his dilemma was in Romans 7? I'm saved. I know I'm in Christ, but more of my body keeps doing the wrong things. Against my will, the will of the man on the inside. I think that's the majority of the church world and and the way they live their lives. Now, in Ephesians chapter 1, did I leave you there? Notice what Paul prays. I want you to understand something about this. Paul prays, beginning in verse, uh, well, let's start in verse 15. He said, wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints... Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So in other words, he's saying, I pray this for you all the times. I cease not, so that means I pray it over and over and over again. What do you pray, Paul? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, I'm going to take for granted that you know a scripture that we looked at before. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. It talks about uh, uh, we've been born again. By the incorruptible seed of the word, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Verse 2, I think it is, of that chapter, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it talks about, in uh, I think it's verse 4, it says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Talking about the word of God. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these, by the word of God, you might be partakers of the heavenly nature, of the divine nature. Now, I thought these people were already saved. They are. Well, aren't we partakers of the divine nature when we get born again? Yeah. Well, then what does he mean? The word of God enables us to be partakers. He's talking about living out what's already happened on the inside of you. He's talking about living out the life of God, the divine nature, the life of God on the inside of you that was imparted to your spirit at the new birth. There's a difference between having it and living it. And it's only through the word of God that you become partakers in other words, that you experience the lifestyle of the life of God. Now, this is what Paul is talking about. So it's not just knowledge. 
Knowledge is important. Grace and peace are multiplied through the knowledge of Jesus. It's important that we know things, but notice that there's a spiritual component to knowledge or a spiritual component that goes beyond knowledge. Notice what Paul is praying, and he's praying this because he's impressed and prompted by the Holy Spirit to pray it. So here's a prayer that the Holy Ghost gives Paul to pray, and then the Holy Ghost saves us a record of it so that we'd know what he inspired Paul to pray about. That says to me this is an important prayer. I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom. Give unto you the spirit of wisdom. Number two, that he give unto you the spirit of revelation. Notice wisdom and revelation are spiritual forces. Notice what he did not say. Notice that he did not say that you would grow in knowledge. See, folks, I know people that are filled with the knowledge of God's word. They can quote scriptures. They know Bible history, but there's not an ounce of spiritual virtue to them at all. I can take you to Bible colleges and show you people that have doctorates as long as your leg, a string of letters as long as your leg. But there's no spiritual sensitivity to them at all. There's no spirit to them whatsoever. they got a lot of knowledge. They know more things about the Bible and history and, 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 and the backgrounds and stuff like that than maybe all of us put together. But there's no spiritual insight. They couldn't tell you what a verse of Scripture means. They might tell you what's there, but they can't tell you the real meaning, the real spiritual truth behind a Scripture to save their lives. Paul prays that we would have two things, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, the word and is a conjunction that joins wisdom and revelation, right? But notice it's joined to the spirit of wisdom, which means that he's praying that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation. In other words, wisdom and revelation are spiritual forces in the knowledge of God. You can have the knowledge of God and not have any wisdom. We know a lot of Christians that can quote quote Bible verses, but there's not an ounce of wisdom to them. We know other people that can quote verses, and they really don't see what it means. Paul is praying that we'd have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. That the eyes of our understanding, another translation says the eyes of our spirits, would be enlightened, that we would know. Now, wait a minute. Doesn't the Bible say that the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord? Doesn't the Bible say God will enlighten our darkness and that's through the spirit? The eyes of our understanding or the eyes of our spirit being enlightened. In other words, that we'd see which way to go, that we'd see what belongs to us, that we'd see what God has destined for us to have through the work of Jesus. How does that come through the spirit of wisdom and revelation? In the knowledge of him. Folks, there's only one way that that takes place, and that's through meditating in the word. Now, over and over and over again, the Bible tells us to meditate, and it says it in a a variety of ways. Jesus said it this way when he was preaching to the multitudes. He said, let these sayings sink down into your ears. How do you let something sink down into your ear? He's saying, let it go from hearing with the natural ear to really getting the import, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in what I'm saying within your own spirit. Within your own spirit. Now, what changes when the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him occurs in any case, in any particular scripture, any particular situation? What changes? Understanding comes to the mind. In other words, you take a step forward in your soul. Your spirit doesn't get bigger. But you see from within. So it comes from the word through meditating to your spirit. And then your mind is illuminated. 
Folks, the ult- in my opinion, you judge this for yourself. But the ultimate in Jesus coming to give us life is to be led by the Holy, Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That's the whole reason that God wanted to recreate your spirit, is to put his spirit in you. Well, for what purpose? To lead you and guide you. To show you the way to go. To show you a life of victory instead of a life of defeat. To lead you into things that are profitable, things that are eternal, instead of just living for the moment. He's not trying to take anything away from you. See, so many times people get distracted by, by, by riches and by business affairs and stuff like that. Well, the Bible says if you put the word first, God will make you successful in business affairs. The Bible says if you make wisdom your goal, riches and honor will, are, are part of what goes with the territory. God doesn't have a problem with those things. He just doesn't want you pursuing those things. He wants you putting spiritual things first and letting him add those things to you. Right? Why? Because the word is the only thing that can divide between soul and spirit. It's the only thing that can do it. Now, how many of us have had situations where we've looked at the word and, and, and all of a sudden we may have even said, I see it. I remember that uh, is uh, the phrase that Brother Hagin used when the Lord was dealing with him when he was on the sickbed. He knew on the inside of him, just an inward witness, he knew that the answer was in Mark chapter 11, verses 23 and 24. So he started studying those things. He started reading those things. He started quoting those things and saying that he knew that was the answer. Somehow he just knew that he knew the answer was right there. There's where my healing is. The answer is in Mark 11, 23 and 24. And so he started talking over, talking it over with the Lord. And finally, the Lord asked him, what does Mark 11, 24 say? He was complaining to him because he was going up and down, back and forth. He was being double-minded. His eye was not single. His eye was doubly focused. It's what James talks about being double-minded. He would pray and believe that he received his healing, and then the the next day he'd wake up and his body would still be in the same condition that it was, same uh, condition with the heart problems and the blood disease and so forth, and he'd start crying and complaining and say, Oh, Lord, I don't understand why it's not working. And finally, through talking it over with the Lord, literally meditating in the Word, holding himself to Mark 11.24 over and over again, finally the Lord asked him, What does Mark 11.24 say? And he quoted it to him. And he said, when does it say to believe you receive? And finally, Brother Hagin said, I see it. I see it. I've got to believe I receive healing for the deformed heart while I'm still lying here in this bed. I've got to believe that I have received healing for the blood disease while I'm still lying here in this bed. And that's what he started to do. What was that? It was the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge that he had gained through meditating in the word. Can I give you an example, a simple example? It may even be a foolish example, but it, it, it means something to me. When, uh, when Beth and I first moved out here, we lived in an old um, uh, apartment, not an old apartment, but a condominium over in Mission Viejo. It was a nice place, and, and um, uh, uh, it had a, a walkway that were individual. It wasn't a place where all the doors were there together and that kind of thing. It was situated and arranged in such a way where everybody kind of had their own walk up to the to the place. And we were on the second floor. And um, we got the idea. We saw one of these uh, uh, split barrels. And we got the idea that, uh, hey, summer's coming on. Let's, uh, let's plant some tomato plants. I love homegrown tomatoes. And so we did. And we had a place right there outside the front door where it would get sun almost all day long. And plus it was right next to the wall. And so it kind of got a double exposure, you know, heat bouncing off the wall. And man, we grew up some tremendous tomatoes. Well, growing season was over. We didn't plant anything else. And the only reason we've got this little barrel, half barrel out there, 
was for tomato season, and it's not going to be tomato season now for another nine months or so. So we didn't do anything with it. We just left it out there, and it's baking in the sun day after day after day after day after day. When the time came the next year when I was ready to plant, this thing was like concrete. It hadn't had an ounce of water, a drop of water. You know, it was sheltered from any rain that we got, so nothing wet or any kind of moisture whatsoever had gotten to it, and it was hard as as the asphalt that we drove the cars on. And so I got out there, and I started trying to chip away at it a little bit, and it wouldn't budge. So I said, well, all right, I know what to do. I'll just soak it down with water real good and and let it loosen itself up. So I started pouring water on the thing. We didn't have a hose out in front of the thing. So I'm carrying, uh, you know, pitchers and jugs of water out from the kitchen into this thing. And it, what had happened is it, when it had gotten so dry, it had kind of uh, contracted. And so now there's a little space around the, the edge of the thing, so the water just runs off into the space down the side and into the walkway. So I'm just creating a wet walkway. I'm not doing a bit of good with the with the the whiskey barrel thing, or whatever kind of barrel it was. They advertised it a whiskey barrel, so I guess that's what it was. I don't. Know. Anyway, so I, I I came up with the idea. I said this isn't working. I don't want to stand out here and try to chip this thing away. I don't have any tools, and so I don't have anything to really work with. You know, I'm trying to work with a screwdriver, trying to pick this thing up, and it's not working. So I came up on another idea. I thought I need to let this thing work while I'm not around. So I got a little strip of plastic, and I put this plastic around the edge, which would keep the water from going down the side. And I just took one thing of water, one pitcher of water, and I put that pitcher of water on there. Now the water doesn't have anywhere to run, so it's just sitting there in in that barrel. Well, I came back the next day. Didn't look like it had moved. Didn't look like anything had happened. But I put more water on it. Now it's just got water sitting there, not doing anything, just sitting on top. I came back about the third day, and I noticed it had gone down a little bit, so I refilled it. Did that for three, four, five, six, seven days, whatever it was. By about the eighth or the ninth day, that thing had loosened itself up completely. Didn't have to dig, didn't have to do anything. Moisture had seeped down in there. Now, it wasn't a matter of how much water I put on there. It was letting the water soak in. Folks, that's what meditating in the Word does. And what so many people are doing, so many Christians do, is they try to see how much of the Word they can read. And it's like water running down the sides and not making any effect on the dirt. But if you take one scripture, it just take, I'd rather you take one scripture and meditate on, meditate on it all day long than take a whole chapter or ten chapters or whatever and try to read them in the morning. You take one scripture and roll it over and quote it to yourself, say it to yourself, let your mind realize what you're saying, listen to yourself say it over and over and over again, and pretty soon it'll break up even the most hardened dirt or the hardened heart. I know that it, as many years as I've preached on Mark eleven twenty three. I know that I had an I see it moment in Mark eleven twenty three, and it had to do with church finances. I'm confessing the word, claiming a certain amount of finances for the for the church that year, and um, uh, and time is running out. It's almost the end of the year, and we're a long, 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 long way away from the number that I said. And so the devil's trying to make me think, you know, it's not working. It's not working. And I said, well, wait a minute. The Bible says if I confess with my mouth and believe with the heart, my heart, I'll have what I say. And I'm just, I, and the more the devil's trying to, to, to ding me about it, it, it really wasn't even a matter of the church had to have the money. We'd go under or anything if they didn't have it. It was a matter of I wasn't willing to lose the faith battle. I, it, I took it personal. And so here I am, I'm confessing the word, the devil's coming, he's telling me it's not working, it's not working, time's running out, you know that not that much money's not going to come in in this short a time now, and that type of thing. And I'm just quoting the word of God, I've been doing it all year long, 
not so not spending so much time on it in the in the beginning of the year or at least not spending so much time thinking about it i'm just confessing it and going on which is really what faith is but now i'm having to struggle i'm not i'm now in the fight of faith about this thing and all of a sudden i saw something on the inside something so simple something i'd taught a hundred times but the entrance of his words give light i had an i see it moment And it was like, wait a minute, I have been saying this. This is not a matter of I can have what I will say. I have already been saying this because God's word is true. This has to be because I've said it. And the money came in. Now, that was a real shock to me because I thought I knew everything about Mark 11, 23. There was. I've heard Brother Hagin teach, still hear him teach on Mark 11, 23, listen to him every day. And he always, I don't think I've ever heard a message of his that we didn't get into Mark 11, 23 some way or another. I've heard thousands of sermons on Mark eleven twenty three. I thought I knew every bit of it, but I had an I see it moment. That's what the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him is. It's not a matter of just knowing what the word says. It's knowing because you see it from the inside. Wait a minute. This is what it's saying to me. And the only way that can come is through meditating in the word. Let me close with this. Joshua 1, 8. Talking about meditating in the word. God told Joshua how to succeed, told him how to prosper. God doesn't play favorites, so if this worked for Joshua, it'll work for you. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. And all they had was the law of Moses. That's what he means by book of the law. It's a, uh, it's, it illustrates what we know of as the word of God. We've got more than they had. So this book of the law, we could transpose and say this word of God shall not depart out of your mouth. Now, the only way something can't depart out of your mouth is to keep saying it. Because once you say it, it's gone. It's departed. So if it's not going to depart out of your mouth, that means you have to say it again and again and again. And that's really the Bible meaning of meditation. The Bible word for meditation, a lot of Christians get hung up on the word meditate. Because they think of Eastern religion stuff. Eastern religion is all about emptying your mind. The Bible never talks about emptying your mind. It talks about filling your mind with the word. That's what meditating in the word is. It's saying it to yourself again and again and again and again and again. That's what gets your attention focused on the word. That's what allows your spirit to receive revelation, wisdom and revelation, which are spiritual forces in the knowledge of what you're reading or meditating on. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Notice meditating is about speaking the word. It's not about sitting cross-legged and humming like some goofy Eastern religion stuff will do. It's not about emptying your mind. It's about speaking the word. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Now, he doesn't mean literally 24 hours every day. You're going to have to meditate every minute of every day. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about making it your focus so that it never gets away from you. Now, folks, the only way you can do that is if you're meditating on one or two scriptures at a time. If you're trying to meditate on a chapter at a time, it doesn't work. It'll get away from you. You won't be able to keep your focus on it. But you meditate on one or two or maybe even three scriptures at a time pertaining to a certain subject or a certain problem that you have, something, a situation or circumstance that you're facing in life. It says to do that day and night. So he's talking about small pieces of the word of God at a time. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. To what end that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein? The word of God won't do you a bit of good unless you do it or act on it or live on live by it. 
The whole purpose of knowing the word is so that you can act on it. Now, my I see it moment about Mark eleven twenty three. From that point forward, I started thanking God with a different purpose and with a different attitude and with a different emphasis because now I had seen something I hadn't seen before. As far as I was concerned, it really was done. Someone once said that praise is the highest type of faith because you believe it's done. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. For what purpose? To what end? That thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then, after meditating and acting, living on the word, then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Notice it's not even God that prospers you. It's you that makes your own way prosperous. It's you that makes your way successful. Why? Because the revelation in the word of God, the revelation of the truth of what Jesus has provided for us, will put you over every time. Now, how many times, with that in mind, how many times do we see Christians wanting us to pray for somebody that they'll prosper or that they'll be healed or that something will happen for them? And honest to goodness, I can pray for you to prosper, but if you don't do the word, it's not going to happen. I can pray for you to be healed, but if you've got something stuck in your mind, a wrong thought about healing and who it belongs to and what God does and how God heals and and all this kind of stuff, it's not going to work. In other words, if I'm praying for you for something that you're not meditating on so that you can be a doer of the word in, it's not going to work. My prayer is not going to work. And it's not because God doesn't want it to work. It's because you're not working the principle. And we could turn it around. The same thing would be true for you praying for me or anybody else. For that reason, I can look back to the last 35 years, almost 35 years, and I cannot find one thing that I've ever prayed about me personally that I didn't get an answer for. Because I know that the answer is to find the word, pray the word, act on the word, and then get the answer. But I can show you tons and tons and tons of prayers that I prayed for other people that I didn't get answers for. Why? Because I can't control what they're meditating on. I can't control what they believe or think about the word. I can't control the principles that they're acting on or not acting on. If I could get everybody to act on the word, you wouldn't have to have anybody to pray for you. Because you'd make your way prosperous. And you'd have good success. Do you understand that? But so many times people turn in prayer requests and those prayer requests go unanswered and people say, I don't know why God doesn't answer our prayer. Because it has to do with what the individual is doing. It has to do with the action and the will of the individual, not the will of the people praying. Now, uh, sometimes we get answers. And in many cases, it's just because of the mercy of God. Has nothing to do with what the person did or didn't do. But God in his mercy just answered the prayer to show himself good and show himself strong. But it doesn't happen in every case. Sometimes you can make that happen for somebody once when they're a baby Christian, and after that, they're on their own because God expects them to grow up and put the word to work in their own lives. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just pray for all of the Christians in the world to be healed? One prayer, and that would knock it out. But see, people come up with all kinds of reasons why that can't be. Their reasons are God doesn't want everybody healed. That's not true. Jesus already provided for healing for everybody. But it takes you and I being doers of the word in the area of healing to appropriate that healing for ourselves. God wants every one of his children to be successful, wildly successful. God wants you to be wildly prosperous. He wants you to have way more than what you need just for your own needs. He wants you to be a great blessing to other people, an example of what givers are like. But he doesn't determine whether or not that happens for you. 
or me or anybody else. Why? Because he set up the principle that if we meditate and live by the word, then we make our way prosperous and then we have good success. Now, what keeps the average Christian from doing that? His soul, his unrenewed mind. His mind hasn't been renewed either to the principle that meditating in the word and living by the word is the key to success or he's not willing to pay the price because these things don't work overnight. They work little by little by little. Just like that ground that was hard as a rock, that water didn't soak into it instantly. And it looked like for a couple of days it wasn't going to work at all. I'm, I'm thinking, well, I'm going to have to come up with another plan because this one's not working. Because it looked for several days like it wasn't working at all. But this is the way it is with meditating in the Word. You let the Word have its work in you, and it'll work. It'll produce. Maybe not as quick as we might like it to, but you stick with it, and it will bring results. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your Word. Thank you for the privilege to meditate in it. Father, I pray, even as Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus, I pray for every one of these people and those under the sound of my voice by tape. I ask, Father, that you would give unto each one the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, that the eyes of our spiritual understanding would be enlightened, that we would know what is the hope of your calling and what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of your power that works in us as believers, even as Paul prayed by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Father, that as we meditate on the word of God, the Holy Spirit does a supernatural work in us to cause our spiritual eyes to be open to see that which Jesus has provided for us and that which belongs to us. For it's in his wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.